DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're joined now by Andy Bailey, covers the Utah Jazz and the NBA for Bleacher Report. He joins the show once again. Andy, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Excellent. We are curious about many things you think about the start of this NBA season. Why don't we start with the Jazz? Three games in, are they who you thought they were? Should Jazz fans really be getting their hopes up? How different are they than the team that's finished, uh, has been a five or six seed four years in a row in the playoffs? What are you thinking? I think they look good. Um, That that seems like a really... (laughs) simple response, but I, I'm not sure there's a ton to learn about this team uh, anymore. There, there's a lot of continuity here, especially in comparison to a lot of other teams around the league. I, I think the addition of Favors is going to be very helpful, and he's, he's in a much smaller role than he had when he was with Utah last. Um, but their big weakness last season was when Rudy Gobert was off the floor. Things just kind of fell apart. And theoretically, that shouldn't happen anymore. I mean, Derek Favors is not quite as impactful as Gobert, but he's certainly a lot more impactful than Tony Bradley and Ed Davis and, and sort of fill-in center here that, that played that role last season. And then I think if we're looking for another key difference, and he was on the team last season, um, but he certainly looks sharper to start this year than he did last year is Mike Conley. Um in fact, if, if you were going to you know, sort of power rank Jazz players through three games, he might be there at the top, um, you know, maybe right there with Rudy. So if he's locked in um, and he's kind of picked up where he left off when he was healthy last season, um, they have a chance to make some noise. Now, in the West, that always comes with the caveat that, you know, six or seven teams in the West have a chance to make some noise. I don't know if they've taken a huge step forward, but I, I think signs are encouraging. Um you know, they probably should have beaten OKC by more than they did last night, but I think that comes down to just missing shots that they're typically going to make, and I think they look pretty good. So when you talk about a huge step forward, you know, it remains to be seen. I get your premise right now and don't have any problem with that, and we'll find out when we get to the postseason. But as you look at the West, can you view any of those teams that are in that mix as taking a huge step forward from where they were last season? That's a good question. Um, you know, if I had to peg one team that I think is, you know, probably a lot better, it's the Phoenix Suns. Um, and I think that goes back a little bit to what they did last season. They, they obviously played inspired basketball in the bubble, and they finally had a chance to see extended minutes with Booker and Aiton and, and some other younger wings together. And then if you suddenly add Chris Paul to that mix, um, I think that's just another team that's in this. I, I don't even know how big the range is now. Maybe teams like two through eight or two through nine, something like that. There's not a lot of separation between those teams. And I think we can reasonably say that Phoenix is in that bunch now. Um, right there with Utah, Denver. Um, I think the Clippers maybe have taken a step back into that group. Um, so, so there's a team that is added to it and makes that group a little bit bigger. Um, so, yeah, if I... I think a lot of teams, despite you know a lot of player movement this this past off season, a lot of teams I think are similar to what they were last year. There was a lot of player movement, but it wasn't like the year before where stars moved. It was a lot of role player movement. Um, so I, I think a lot of teams made moves on the fringes, and it, you know we we have a long way to go before we see who who made the more significant moves. But if I had to pick one right now, I'd, I'd probably say Phoenix. 
So even with those significant moves, I got to admit, I have a hard time seeing them as one of the top six teams in the West. Is that just uh, because I've seen them flounder for a decade and I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm holding 2017 against them and I shouldn't? Or 2012? No, I, I think that's fair. Um, I, I think when you have languished for as long as the Suns have, I, I totally think that's fair. What, what encourages me about them, uh, you know, if I'm a Suns fan or, or just somebody who enjoys the league, is they already had a very good plus minus when when they had certain guys on the floor last year. Like I think when it was Rubio, Aiton, and Booker, they were something like plus eight per hundred possessions or plus seven, some, somewhere in their range, and that's solid. Um, and if you you take Rubio out and put Chris Paul in those minutes, um, theoretically that's an upgrade. And Rubio was great for them. Uh, he, he fit really, really well. But a lot of the things that he provided, Chris Paul provides those things and then some. So I think they should be better. I just I like the way those pieces fit. Booker is a top-tier scorer, and I, I think he took a real step forward last season. To me, he was always sort of an empty calories production guy for the years up to last season. And he finally, I think, started to leverage that towards winning. And then you've got, I, I think, a very talented big. I think people would perceive DeAndre Ayton differently if he was in a different draft class. The fact that he's in that same group with Luka Doncic and Trey Young, he, he's always going to be kind of forgotten guy from that group. Um, and then you've got a solid point guard, obviously, a future Hall of Famer and Chris Paul, and, and some really versatile wings in Bridges and Johnson. I just, I, I think the puzzle pieces there fit together nicely and again i i think i could give a glowing sort of projection for seven or eight teams in the west so even though i you know i like the way phoenix looks and i think they should be better this year they they could still conceivably finish ninth or tenth because there's just so many good teams in the west when you look at gobert signing and what it means for the next three or four years relative to the value that he's going to give them and the hit on the salary cap, what do you make of that decision? I, I thought it's exactly what Utah needed to do. Um, I think it was predictable the way a lot of people who don't pay close attention to the Jazz called it an overpay. Um, and I can see, you know, you look at that price tag and you look at his skill set in comparison to what the rest of the league does, and I, I think it's natural to think, wow, how, how are they paying Rudy Gobert that much money. Um, but if you're, if you're plugged into the jazz and you've seen what he's done for the last five or six years, um, it almost feels like a no brainer. They are just significantly better when he plays. And I think more importantly, just over the course of Donovan Mitchell's career, um, Utah is a minus when Mitchell plays without Gobert, and they're a significant plus when when they play together. Um, so even though we, we see a lot of centers who shoot threes, who pass, who handle the ball, um, and that's that's certainly in vogue right now. There's there is a place for Rudy Gobert in the league. I mean, he is a game changing defensive player. Um, you know, I've long thought it, it's not quite to the same degree, but the way that, you know, James Harden is like a one man offense, I think Rudy Gobert is a one man defense. I think you could put him on just about any team in the league and compete for a top five to ten defense. Um so that's huge. And then, you know, where he's continues to be underrated is on the offensive end. People say, well, you know, he doesn't he doesn't shoot jumpers, he's got no post moves. But if you have a guy who uses nine or ten possessions a game as efficiently as Gobert does, I mean, that, that is a huge boost to your offense. So I, I think it was a deal that Utah, frankly, had to do. 
Um, I still think that he works in today's NBA. I think Utah has some lineup possibilities that really unlock him. And I think long-term, if Donovan Mitchell is your one, he's your five, and you have shooters who can kind of switch on the perimeter on defense in between them, I, I think that's a recipe for a very, very good team. So is it a recipe for a championship team? Can they afford enough offense and shooters around him, given what he's going to do on defense and what he's going to provide when you free him up for those dunks on those pick and rolls and on the putbacks? Is there going to be enough there that plausibly they could put it all together? Because I think when people say they overpay him, I think for a lot of people, you're right, for the people who aren't plugged in close, they're just saying, well, they overpaid him. But for a lot of people, it's like, well, that's awesome, but they're not going to have enough money now to put a championship team around him. Well, I think that depends largely on so, so I what I think let me let me back up foundationally they have a team that's going to be in the playoffs every single year now and I think there's value in that by itself I think if you've got Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert on your team you're not going to miss the playoffs um, and I think they already have a bunch of role players who fit those two very well I mean last season the lineup of Mitchell O'Neal Ingles Bogdanovich and Gobert was very, very good, and I, I hope they get to that more. And I know I just said that Conley's been one of their best players so far this season, but I like when they can go a little bit bigger um, at those spots two through four. So I think they've got a great baseline. Um, to become legitimate, like I think they're going to win the title or a title favorite or, or, or even just a contender, I think that may depend more on Donovan Mitchell um, than Rudy Gobert, frankly, because – I, I think we've kind of seen Gobert's ceiling. I don't expect him to suddenly be like, you know, Jokic as a passer or Joel Embiid as a post player. Um, we've seen that he can dramatically impact a game as a defender and a rim roller, and I don't think there's going to be much more added to that. If Donovan Mitchell, on the other hand, goes from, you know, I, I would say he's probably in the top, you know, 25 to 30 range right now in terms of individual players. I still think he has the potential to be a top 10 to 15 guy. If he gets there, uh, I, I think this is a title contender. Um, a lot of people don't put Rudy Gobert in that group, but it, just in terms of impact, I, I think you can make an argument that he's there. And when you have two top 10 to 15 guys and a bunch of solid role players and, and good coaching, um, it's not the same formula as the Lakers, who have two top five players and, and can get you know solid players on the veteran minimum every single season. Um, but we've seen random years where the, the superstar in a big market model doesn't work. There's the 2011 Mavericks. There's the 2004 Pistons. Um, I, I think they've given themselves a good baseline, and if Mitchell can sort of hit his top-tier potential, they, they are a title contender. Yeah, too. Wouldn't the Jazz be able to get those veterans that you're talking about going forward because they know that they're going into it, they know what their role will be, they know what the money will be, and they know they're going to be on a playoff team, as you said? Yeah, I think they're more likely to do that than they were in the past, and I think we've seen evidence of that um, in the last few years. The Joe Johnson signing, even though he was only there for a year and he was at the tail end of his career, that that signaled some kind of a a shift to me, um, that a big-name player was willing to go to Utah, which wasn't always a desirable market because he saw that it was a winner, there's good coaching there, um, I think Donovan Mitchell is a dynamic personality who could attract some players as well, just just him personally. Um, so I, I think free agent recruiting is going to be different for this team than it was five, ten years ago. Um, they're, they're still going to have a hard time competing with the likes of the Lakers or the Heat. Um, there's just some built-in advantages that those teams have. 
the Lakers have their history, um, you know, the ocean, all, all kinds of stuff that players are drawn to. Um, but Utah is certainly more of a player in free agency than I think it was, you know, before the Quinn Snyder era. Yeah, I think the thing about paying Rudy is will role players want to pay with him, play with him? Because a lot of times you're going and you're thinking, well, that guy's getting paid, he's going to get the shots. And Rudy's getting paid, but what he's going to get is, you know, two layups and six dunks and probably yep. only 10 shots total. So there's still shots there, which gives you a chance to score, which means if you're young enough to leverage another deal, you got a chance to leverage another deal because you got a chance to score and to win. And I think that's the hand that they get to play in free agency that a lot of teams don't get to play. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And that's something that I've thought about with Gobert for years now. I, I look at him and I think that's a superstar that everyone should want to play with. I know that there was some grumbling last season about, you know, he wasn't getting enough touches and he's wide open under the rim and not getting the ball sometimes. Um, but generally speaking, if you're a role player or even a scorer around him, you're going to get way more offensive opportunities than you would alongside just about any other star in the league. I mean, like you said, it's just nine or ten possessions per game that he uses, and then he saves your rear end on the defensive end, possession after possession. Um, so we don't hear about him being an unselfish player very often because he's, you know he's not going to put up big assist numbers. That's just not his role. Um, within that system, nor should it be. But he really is an unselfish player. I mean, he does all the little things. I know that's a cliche, but he, you know, he sets screens. I know there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of weeping and wailing about the screen assist. A lot of people around the league say, let's stop talking about that. But that's impactful. Um, the way he plays defense is impactful. The way that he runs to the rim and draws defenders to the paint uh, is impactful. Even if he doesn't get the ball on all those rolls. Um, that gives an extra split second to the three-point shooters on the catch. Like Every little thing that he does makes a difference, and he's not using up a ton of possessions to do it. So you mentioned the ocean as a drawing card. How about the Great Salt Lake? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I, you guys would know better than me. Maybe, maybe you should put together some kind of uh, recruiting package that, that compares those two. Come to Utah, and I will take you to the Spiral Jetty. <laughs> No, I've been to the Spiral well, Jetty. I mean, That's not going to sell anybody. <laughs> Sorry. Take them to Zion National Park or some of the Well, that's got a chance. That, you know, yeah, like Moab's yeah. got a chance, right? But not, there you go. not the Great Salt Lake. You know, we'll walk about a half mile off uh, Antelope <laughs> Island, and eventually we'll be in mud. No, it's not It's sort of pretty to look at when you're flying into town. It is pretty to look at, yes. Don't get too <laughs> no close question. to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the standings are upside down right now. Which teams that are off to, which are supposed to be good and are off to terrible starts are actually going to be terrible? And which teams that are supposed to be bad and are off to good starts are, are actually going to be good? I mean, Cleveland and Orlando and Atlanta are 3-0. and And Toronto yeah. is 0-2. And the Jazz have lost playoff series to the Nuggets, the Warriors, and the Rockets the last four years, and they're combined two and six. So, which of this is early season flukes, and which is a sea change for one of these teams? Well, I'll start with what I think is an easy one. I think the Warriors are just going to be bad. Um, Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins are not going to perform this poorly for the entire season. I mean, some of the numbers on them are startling. I think Oubre's 0 for 17 from three. Um, and I, I actually think he hasn't made anything other than a dunk and maybe one layup, um, you know, of, of all of his field goals. He's he's just 
been awful. Andrew Wiggins hasn't been much better. Um, they're going to be better, but when I watch them play, it feels very much like the start of last season. Um, Stephen Curry is a guy who can you know, really raise the ceiling of a team, but I'm not sure he's like dominate every single possession and just will your team to win type of a superstar like maybe James Harden is or LeBron James. Um, and that supporting cast around him right now just looks really, really bad. And I'm already sort of imagining <laughs> them going after Cade Cunningham um, in this next draft. I, I just I don't see it with them beyond Stephen Curry. I think James Wiseman looks a little bit better than I thought he would, um, but he's a rookie, so I, I, I'm not sure he's going to be enough to he and Curry together to will them into that playing situation. So I think they may just be bad. Um, those teams at the top of the East are fascinating to me. I, I still think, you know, when, when the dust settles and everybody's kind of figured things out after the first couple of weeks, Orlando's probably going to settle back into, you know, being around 500 as they've been for years. Um, I think Atlanta will be better than they were last year. I mean, offensively, they've got so many weapons now with Trey Young and Gallinari and Bogdanovich. Um, they're going to be difficult to guard, but I think they'll come back down to earth a little bit too because, you know, as much offense as they have, there's almost no defense. Um, and then if I had to pick one team in that bunch that I think really comes back down to earth, it's probably the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, they haven't they haven't really played a murderer's row <laughs> to this point. Um, and, I, you know, they should be better. Colin Sexton's young. He's improvement, improving. Darius Garland is improving. Um, but I, I just I have a hard time seeing them. Main, they're certainly not going to maintain this level of play. I mean, they're, they're obviously not going to go undefeated. But I also think they'll probably come back down to earth to the point that they're sub-500, um, I don't know, probably two or three weeks from now. Um, you know, I think back to – I don't even know how long ago this was, but Michael Carter-Williams' rookie season with the process Sixers, and I think they even started 3-0. and and we get really excited about some of those crazy starts and then things normalize. And, and, and I think that's probably what will happen to a team like Cleveland. Well, Andy, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and uh, happy new year. Thanks guys. Happy new year to you too. Andy Bailey covers the Utah jazz and the NBA for Bleacher Report. Andy joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 the zone. Snickfried. Yes. He mentioned Cade Cunningham. Now, he is a 6'8 point guard, I think, you know, in the new version of point guard uh, who plays for Oklahoma State. You're thinking, Oklahoma State? How do they get Oklahoma State? How do they get this kid who's, uh, you know, it's early still, obviously, and things could change, but is probably the leader in the clubhouse, as they might say, for uh, uh, number one pick. Yeah, the hashtag's already out there. Fade for Cade. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, we'll see. It'll be fun to watch how how he develops and all that stuff. Uh, But going forward, I mean, let's just call it like it is. How'd they get him? Well, who's the coach? Uh, Boynton, I think his name is there. Well, he hired uh, Cunningham's brother a year ago to be an assistant coach. Smart move. (laughs) not the first time that uh well i guess more often it's a dad but i guess we could probably go find uncles or uh siblings or whatever that's not well usc's got their two-star big men their dad's on staff down there you got isaiah martinez his dad at utah you need your assistants to be recruiters and if they recruit their own kid and their own kid's good there you go bingo i'm waiting for the first uh big time stud to uh have his mother be hired 
How long does the family member stay on staff after the kid is uh, off to the NBA? Do you ever track uh, that? It depends on how many other kids that that person has in the yeah. family. <laughs> I mean, that's how the Devils got hardened, probably through other means too. But they hired his high school coach uh, a, a couple years uh, earlier, a year or so earlier, and then Harden commits. And you know, you wouldn't think a player of Harden's stature would be at Arizona uh, would State go to yeah. a place like you know. They're obviously not a basketball factory by any stretch. A little bit better than than they have been in recent years, but they still have a long way to go. Uh, to be where you know you would put them as a perennial top ten team, I don't think they're anywhere near that. But that that's something to keep in mind as you go forward there. Uh, if you want to improve your team, uh, all right. I'm waiting for a division coach to hire the guy's mother, though. That would be that would be dramatic, wouldn't it? Yes, it would be. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet, but day. Uh, hey, how many years are we into the WNBA now? Who was that? Somebody, there was some WNBA star who just hit a shot somewhere and started talking to the camera. Did you see that? It was on social media. But it didn't identify who it was. not playing right now. And it looked, I mean, I know I know who it was, and it was somebody that identified him as like a 45 or 50-year-old WNBA star. But as, you, as the league, I mean, their players are going into coaching, and at some point, uh, you know, and we see these second and third generation stars. Why not? It's got to happen at some point, right? You'd think. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Everything you missed in this show, we will get you up to speed. From the Jazz win to the Monday night football blowout and the playoff picture, all of that coming up. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Number one. Because you're number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. No disrespect. People can perceive and take things however they want. But for me, every year I take it seriously. I just don't think it's right. It's not that they're not good enough. I just don't think it's right that three teams have to play 13 games to be the champion and and one team has to play eight. People have a problem with that. I I don't really care. Uh, It's just, it's my poll. uh, And it it doesn't matter who the person was. It's zero to do with Ohio State. That's Dabo Sweeney right there talking about why he had Ohio State 11th in the poll. And, you know, as I listen to it again, and for those of you just joining the show, uh, you know, we catch up in this segment, and we played that back in the 7 o'clock hour. And I guess, you know, there's probably people who don't think the ACC should have rigged it so Clemson and Notre Dame didn't play the week before. It's an unusual season, to say the least. And if you have the rep and you have the talent you get in and nobody cares how many games you played and how many games you ducked and if you gave yourself a bye in the middle of the season. I guess I shouldn't say nobody cares. If you have the rep, it doesn't matter. And you people will care. It. He cares that Ohio State only played six games so far and can win the title by playing two more for a total of eight, as he points out. Uh, but you get away with it if you're Ohio State and you have the rep. If you're the Pac-12, then nobody, got, nobody finished undefeated. But if they had, they wouldn't have gotten away with it because they don't have the rep.
It turned out SC lost and Colorado lost, and those were the, the last two teams with a shot to pull it off. So it's a moot point now, but they didn't have the rep. Cincinnati doesn't have the rep. Coastal Carolina didn't have the rep, so they don't get away with it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, but it, it, it's a TV show, man. It's entertainment. It's about driving as much ratings as possible. So nobody wants to see Coastal Carolina or Cincinnati. It's the fine bomb line. Nobody wants to see Utah. We wanted to see Utah, but over the course of the country, I, I get what he was saying. It's a TV show. It's not about pure athletic competition. It's entertainment, and you're trying to make as much money as possible. So Ohio State's going to get every benefit of the doubt because they're a draw. They're a, they're a draw right there. I would say Notre Dame is the number one draw in the country. And then you have right now Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, and maybe Oklahoma and Texas when Texas is good, but it's been a while now, so it's hard to imagine them being good. But there's like four or five schools. Notre Dame, to me, is clearly number one. But I think the rest of the country wants to see, outside of your own parochial interest, of course you want to see your team, but if your team isn't going to be there, which probably your team isn't going to be there, then you want to see these big brand-name dudes. They've got these NFL guys. And then you track them in the NFL. You know, we saw Haskins play for Ohio State. Haskins, you realize Haskins was chosen basically as the quarterback at Ohio State over Joe Burrow. Hello. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> so, without question, there are four to five brand names that resonate more than everybody else. And yeah. there's probably another tier, eight to ten. We could argue about you know the fringes of it, but eight to ten where. You're not there right now, but you could be in the right circumstance. LSU had the right circumstance. Everybody wanted to watch him play last year. Um, you know, USC could be if they got on a roll again. Florida, you know, we can go down the list. Penn State or Michigan, maybe. Um, and then beyond that, there's another drop-off. But you look at the NFL, and they trust the competition. Cleveland sucked forever. But if things break right this final week, and Cleveland's got to beat Pittsburgh, and, uh, but if they get in, they'll leave Cleveland in. You know, Buffalo's in. Now, Buffalo hasn't mattered for 25 years, but they're good now. So NFL trusts that these teams will generate the interest. And this has been the formula. And you can argue, well, the NFL's gotten so big now that, of course, it's going to work for them if they put Buffalo and Cleveland in. But this has been the NFL's formula for decades it's what built it to the point it's at shouldn't college football trust no. that no, no 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 because no because there's financial gain if the nfl was four or five different conferences you would see that the college football the big 10 gets nothing if it's uh the pac-12 big 12 sec and, and ACC. there it is and there it is because the bit the nfl is unified yeah and so they'll all trust in each other because they're all in it together. But the conferences aren't all in it together. Right, exactly. I mean, they're actually at odds with other. You think that if... Nobody uh, wants to help the American. We're yeah. in, you're oh, out. We, 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 we Sucks to that. be you. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Bottom Obviously, line. We've seen that in the polls and all that stuff. You think that if the ACC... Played for, for, say, Notre Dame, which was an ACC member this year. Say for whatever reason 
they uh, could only play half their schedule, which is what basically Ohio State did. You think Double Sweeney would say be saying, no, "I don't, I don't think AC, uh, Notre Dame should be in. I'm going to rank them way lower because they played only five or six games and they played a soft schedule." Of course, he's not going to say that. He's incriminating himself. So it's easy to say it about the Big Ten because you have no connection to them ever. You know, you're going to play. This is the second year in a row that you've played Ohio State. But outside of that, you don't stand to benefit at all by Ohio State doing well. Whereas, at least in the conference, you stand to benefit one way or you can benefit directly financially. And obviously the prestige of the conference and all that stuff. So college football could benefit by, by becoming a bigger a bigger deal. But that's just, really, they just care about the conference becoming a Well, yeah, deal. and that's going to some talk, other. you know, yeah. that you have a commissioner, and we've seen it, you know, with these Power Fives. Do they break off, and do they have some type of uniformity? Do we really, really want to see that at the college level? I mean, do we really want to see that? Do we really want to see these kids getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars and millions of dollars? Because in in our heart of hearts, don't we still fantasize it's college sports and it's well, amateurism and it's and high I, school and all you that You and I stuff. don't. Honestly, when you were just talking the last segment about how did Oklahoma State get good, I'm like, I don't know. Did they pay a kid? I haven't followed it. And it turns out, okay, well, no, but, you know, hire a relative and pay that person. And you and I have heard plenty of stories from people who are right in the mosh pit that the kids are already getting paid. The checks are under the table, but if you can get $25,000 not to go to a school, but for a home visit, when kids are getting paid. <laughs> and we've got, we got uh, we didn't get to it today. Where is it in here? It was uh, somewhere I saw it on a headline this morning. I think it was the Florida coach, Dan Mullen, the former Utah assistant, who said college football is about to change in the next few years. The lure of the NFL is getting stronger. As these guys, the thing, the difference between football and basketball is in football, you got to be so big and just able to absorb the physical punishment of grown men crashing into each other for three hours. But as we see at a younger age, kids getting better nutrition and better strength and better conditioning, not just in college, but in high school. I mean, high school kids are, I mean, we're a couple generations removed from high school now, but high school kids are way bigger than they were one generation ago, let alone two. And so I think more of these college kids have the bodies that they can compete in the NFL week in and week out and absorb the punishment. And now you got a, a high-profile college coach saying, yeah, more kids are going to go early. There's more money to be made, and they're more capable of surviving the rigors of the sport. And that wasn't true 10 or 15 years ago. But it's, and it's going to be more true five years from now than it is now. What sport do you think your body would enable you to compete in? Competitive eating. I'd be good on the pier on the 4th of July. Joey Chestnut? Is that the guy? Yeah. Ooh, I would love to see it, man. I think I think that stuff is grotesque. I can't watch it. It, it, it Seriously. Yeah, but you wouldn't be watching it. You'd be in the moment. <laughs> I'm just choking now. But the water on the hot dog buns, that's just gross. <laughs> I agree. I agree a thousand percent. I just can't do that. I, just can't. I totally agree. Uh, all right, other stuff we talked about, the Jazz win. They beat Oklahoma City. Donovan Mitchell, we've seen it before. We saw it again. 
Couldn't make a shot early. Took a lot of threes. I didn't think they were particularly in rhythm. I thought some of them were contested. And late in the game, though, uh, got to the rim a couple times, hit a couple mid-range jumpers, did hit a, a couple of big threes, hit a really deep three at one point. And I think Bogdanovich hit a deep three, too. He did. Uh, and those two uh, got it going. They started very slowly. Conley uh, had a huge game, a huge stat line. 23 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. And if he wasn't filling it up early, they wouldn't have been digging out of 8, 10, and 12-point deficits. They would have been digging out of 17 again. And that might have been a bridge too far. They, win, they, they were down 12, and they got, they got the one-point win. I was a little surprised they didn't open it up in the last five minutes. They'd gotten back, and they had the lead, and they scored a couple quick hoops, and Oklahoma City called timeout. And in the background of the shot, you can see George Hill, a veteran, right? He's in his mid-30s. He's seen it all. He knows about the ebbs and flows and momentum. And he just kind of rolled his head back like, man, we were so good for so long, and look at us now. We have, we have screwed this thing up. Yeah, but Jazz got some good players. They made some good plays. As I look at this team right now, the word comfortable comes to mind with Mike Conley. He just seems to be comfortable in exactly doing what he's supposed to do. And maybe that wasn't there last year, which is somewhat understandable. Well, this year, he knows exactly what he's supposed to do. And the coaches have put him in position, just go play, Mike, do your thing. And he's doing his thing, and he's fine. He's a good player. So I think we're going to get the Mike Conley, as long as he stays healthy, knock on wood, that uh, we expected last year. I think we're going to find it with much greater consistency this year. And I think as far as the mid-range game, I used to think Chris Paul, from the guard standpoint, he'd come across that middle there. We see, you could see it in your mind a thousand times. Oh, yeah. Turn and shoot. Yep. Well, I think Donovan Mitchell – now is at that level with that mid-range game. And I know they want to shoot the threes, and that's great. But if Mitchell feels like he can get that 15-footer or whatever distance you want it to be, go ahead and take it because I think his ability to make that shot is just absolutely incredible. And when he's doing it, it gives the team so many more options. If you're shooting a three – as you're rising up or about ready to shoot, you really don't have a whole lot of options there in that moment, right as you're about ready. Whereas if you're driving and moving it to mid-range, I think you do have some more options. And if the option of him shooting is the choice, I'm all for it. And I think we saw that in the closing minutes of the game. I was so glad he just didn't settle. Force the action. The kid's got amazing body control, which, you know, these athletes usually do. The balance that they have is usually incredible to be able to move as fast as you are, but yet still be under control and not look awkward or out of control. And to have him have that skill, I say take advantage of it as much as possible, particularly when you absolutely need a bucket, which is what you get in stretch, to, uh, down the stretch, clutch time, whatever you want to call it. There. You know, we just had Andy Bailey on from Bleacher Report, and he was talking about, uh, you know, sign, you sign Rudy, you give him the big money, and then how good you are really depends on how much does Donovan Mitchell develop. Is he a top 25 player? Is he a top 15 player? Is he a top 5 player? You know, how, uh, how much do you... Because when you're a top five player, you know, you can look at player number 10 in the NBA and think you're really good. But in this series, I got you and you know it. And that wins a lot of NBA playoff series, that dynamic right there. And I think one of the things for Donovan here, it's not so much the overall stats changing now. I think he's gotten pretty much to where he is. Maybe, you know, he'll score a little more. Um, but I think, and we saw a glimpse of it in the, in, the, uh, in the home loss to Minnesota. 
good players kind of recalibrate from game to game, but the great players recalibrate not even quarter to quarter, although that's a step, but every two or three possessions. What do, what do we really need here? Where's my advantage in the matchup? What am I feeling? Hey, I, I've missed a couple of threes. I, can get, I can't get to the rim, but I can get that mid-range shot. Or I can get all the way to the rim, and I, we're in the bonus, and we got to put the pressure on the rim and keep getting to the free throw line. And, you know, I don't know if it was him, an assistant coach, or Quinn, or whoever. Clearly, his mindset changed uh, late in the third quarter of that Minnesota game, and he started attacking the rim more. And in, we saw a little bit of that in Oklahoma City. And as he figures that out, and as he recalibrates, you know, it means when the other team gets it right, well, you change the rules of the game and put more pressure on them, and it makes you a great player. You know, and it's that whole game within a game thing. And he's still in the first third of his career, probably. So as he figures this stuff out, I guess it gets referred to as the basketball IQ, right? As he figures this stuff out, it's just going to make him more deadly. Um, because there are a lot of games to be won by five points or less. And just being able to change a couple of key possessions and how you decide to attack, not settle for a three and have you slapping a palm into your forehead on the couch thinking, well, now we got to talk about this tomorrow morning and have him decide, I can get, I can make this guy foul me. I can get that 15 footer at the free throw line. It can make a huge difference. Man, this is just man into my soul listening to you break down basketball. I knew you'd love it. I mean, this is like that, that tweet you put out the other night. Blazers sagging five guys to deny Ingles to oh. the pick and roll. Bojan needs to get it was to the just top a little late, a little, little late. earlier, and he'll be wide open. Yep. I mean, that is intense knowledge that few human beings have ever possessed. Jerry West learned something from that tweet because I sent it to Jer. I said, Jer, you got to look at this, and he got back to me and said, "Who is this guy? Man, he knows. Oh my." Gosh, you leave me speechless sometimes when you break it down. And to think that people get it for free and they don't have to pay a monthly charge, that's just outrageous. You talk about the deal of the century. It is the Snigs breaking down hoop. Nothing's better. Yeah, get Jerry West on the show tomorrow. I forgot. He owes us. I'm glad you brought that up, PK. I interviewed him once. It was awesome. He was so good. It was a very good interview. We'd love to have him on the show. Make it happen, Yak. You're the man. All right, uh, Monday Night Football. Yikes, I'm the Patriots. Call Kawhi it Leonard's all uncle fell and get his number. You what? I'm going to call Kawhi Leonard's uncle and get his number. Make it happen. You're the man. You did. That's nice. Bills uh, thrashed the Patriots. A worthy challenger to the Chiefs. I would, I would embrace that playoff game if it happens. Bring it on. Josh Allen was, uh, was flinging it. And, man, Diggs just kept making one. He just looked – it's it's that uh, I don't care what your 40 time is. I'm one step faster than you when the game's being played. And Diggs into the end zone again and again and again. Yeah, uh, I wish you could have been a receiver back in the day with him. We could have had Snigs and Diggs. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. May all the COVID sports be forgot as an asterisk by every cheer. But the Cougars coming up one yard short was the best darn play of the year. Happy New Year! Kay keeps bringing it day after day. Creativity, musical talent. And we have had other people tweet that at us, PK. The play of the year was Coastal Carolina making the tackle at the one. Throwing him back yeah, to the two. And God got even. He got their field goal blocked. 
Uh, Jay says Ty Jordan's final touchdown as a youth. That's the question of the morning. The play of 2020. And we've heard a lot of people, Ty Jordan touchdown runs. Uh, a few youth fans have gone to the Coastal Carolina tackle at the one. And Aggie fans bringing it for Sam's shot to beat San Diego State. Sam Merrill. Sam Merrill is a freaking stud. <laughs> Thank you, Scotty G. <laughs> and then there's Michael Scott. Mike Conley clanking the last shot of Game 7 versus Denver. 100%. Hashtag Utah Jazz fan, but him doing that proved that I was right and he was a huge mistake for the Jazz and still is. <laughs> I don't think he clanked the shot. No, he missed it. He didn't clank it. It's not like the thing came back and hit somebody 15 feet from the hoop and it broke their nose. Out. Yeah. yeah. It was actually a really good shot, all things good, Yeah, I mean, he was on full speed, too, and he had to rise up. It's not yep. like he was set, either. No, I think the Conley move was a good move because of the fact I mean, he's paid an enormous amount of money, which I think that's part of the problem that's wrong with the NBA is that your best player has to you pay him this outrageous amount of money when he's not really that big time of a player. Uh, it, and it just makes it diff, more difficult for these franchises, but they feel obligated to do that. Conley's a very good player, but I, he's certainly not an all-timer, but yet he's getting paid over $30 million a year, which is just unbelievable amounts of cash. But from the Jazz perspective, it was only a two-year commitment. There are going to be pretty much two max teams on every, or two max players on every team, so 60 max players in the league. So even if you can mentally adjust to player one, two, three, or four making whatever the going rate, this, these days it seems to be in that 30 to 45 million range. A few years from now, maybe over 50 million. So, wow. you know, when the salary cap started, PK, I mean, there are players now making more than what the whole cap was. That's where the thing is trended. Um, but yeah, player player fifty eight gets the money, and you look at them compared to player three. And think there's a pretty big gap here, but that's a collective bargaining agreement and the salary cap. So there you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not going to change anytime soon. All right, we are out of time. We will see you tomorrow. We got to make way for Scotty and Hands are coming up right after the break. Stay with us.